gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a very special episode of the 7th inning stretch. Darren from Fatboy Fairway, take it away. How we doing tonight, gentlemen? As we see, I got Brandon with us tonight. We got Josh Edwards, as always. And as you can see, we have a special guest with us tonight joining us. We got from AT Sportsnet, the announcer there. We got Michael the Fort McHenry. How are you doing there, sir? How are we I'm doing, doing this well. evening? Appreciate it. Good to yeah. be here. Looking forward to it. Let's have some fun. Thanks for taking some time out of your evening to join us uh, tonight. I got to start right away with it. Uh, when Brandon told me that you were coming <laughs> on, when you were coming on here, I got to say, I, I was like, I looked up the name. I said, Fort, I said, how does he get that nickname? So, that, I mean, that obviously is a catcher that makes, I'm putting it together. But I was, I was kind of looking through. I was like, how did you get that nickname? So if you could maybe start out there for us. So I'm in Pawtucket and AAA with Boston. I'm kind of the third string guy, kind of have a, a, a tough gig because I have Saltamaki in front of me, Veritech in front of me. I get traded. <clears throat> Coolest trade ever. We can get into that a little bit later if you want. But yeah. I get traded to Pittsburgh and immediately thrown into the mix. I mean, I didn't get traded from AAA to AAA. I get AAA to, AAA to the big leagues. And that's a dream come true, right? You're in a tough situation. Then you get to this situation that's just ideal that eight catchers go down. I jump in and I catch probably 15, 16 games in a row, some somewhere in that stretch. Maybe I took one or two days off. I don't remember exactly because it was a whirlwind. But the announcers, Bob Walk and Greg Brown, deemed me the fort because I was okay. in there every day and I was keeping everything in front of me. And if you know anything about the Star Spangled Banner, Fort McHenry in Baltimore, yep. it protected you know, our freedoms. It protected our flag. They wrote the Star Spangled Banner. So it's very special to me. It, it stuck. I was very, very, I guess, intense is the best way to put it. I was high, strong, and I was always throwing myself in harm's way to protect whether it was the umpire or my pitcher and really to get his belief to throw the ball in the dirt. So at the end of the day, it stuck. And that's the biggest thing. When I went to Colorado, it followed me. When I came back to Pittsburgh, it followed me. Everywhere I've gone, even just uh, leaving PDP League, with USA Baseball, they called me Fort, Coach Fort. So, like, I could not be happier that that's a nickname. I'm honored and humbled, and it really stuck because of Pittsburgh and the guys in the booth. That's such a cool nickname. Very too, cool. Right? It is, right? I could, be, I could be, like, moron or douchebag or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to run with that, right? Yeah, that was not the worst one to run with. Very good, Josh. Right. Hey, I, I, like the, I like the name, and I like the story behind it even more. I'm, I'm a history guy. I was a history major in college. So, and I'm, I'm all about U.S. history. So, I, I kind of like it, man. I think it's neat. I, I appreciate um, it. And I've been a huge military buff. So, it's meant even more as, as I've gotten older, you know, having some friends that either served or gave their life for our country. And then just recently learned how to truly stand for the flag at USA Baseball was just absolutely magical and just a dream come true for me. Because probably if I didn't play baseball, that's probably the route I would have gone. It's a similar lifestyle. Obviously, they put themselves in much bigger predicaments than we would have. But like what they do and, you know, the stories I've heard and the opportunities I've had over the last, I guess, decade or so just to give back to them is just remarkable. Um, you mentioned Team USA. So are you involved with that right now, uh, that program uh, as of right now? Like what's your role with Team USA? So I got invited to do the PDP League, which is the Prospects Development Pipeline. They teamed up with MLB. I guess four or five years ago, MLB is okay. really backing USA Baseball, which is great because if you look at the world rankings now, we're ranked third. Chinese Taipei is one, Japan two, us three. And that, that goes all the way down to the lowest age groups. They group them together. So we have to make it up to do. We've got to figure some things out. Major League ba uh, backing them is huge because they have money. They're yeah. doing a lot of different things. They're getting the best prospects in. And that PDP League, they bring in the best 117-year-olds in the country. 
they start by kind of evaluating them, doing a lot of different things. MLB comes in, gives their spill, and then over 10 days we evaluate and we pick 40 guys to go to trials. The trials is Stars and Stripes game. From there, 20 guys are picked to represent the country for the World Cup games, 18U. It's a very big deal. And how big a deal it is, I didn't realize until the draft. I believe 22 guys from last year's PDP League were first-rounders. So you're talking about elite elite competition, elite guys. These guys come ready to go. And they're not just looking for the best talent. They're looking for character. They're looking for makeup. So when you draft these guys, they know what type of person they're getting. Right. No doubt. No doubt. That's cool. I – I was I was kind of looking back. I was looking at where you you went to Middle Tennessee State out there. Did you the, end up did the you actually, Middle Tennessee State? The, the, the just, Middle Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> we just did that about Ohio State. Whoa, 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 whoa! He goes, it's trademark. So I called him trademark for the rest of the time I knew him. New trademark forever because you just said duh is trademarked in Ohio State. Let's calm down. You got to be proper with it. So you went to Middle Tennessee State. I'm assuming you grew up in Tennessee. Like, how did you how did you end up there? You know, not obviously not, not University of Tennessee. You know, how, did, how did you end up over there? So I grew up in Knoxville, believe it okay. or not. Did not want to go to UT. It's not the same then as it is now. The program's obviously taken off. They're putting $100 million in the stadium, so it's really, really special. Their coach is probably maybe mm-hmm. the most fun coach in all of college baseball. And you're sliding in to take the picture when they go to the College World Series. This guy is pulling in prospect after prospect. The guys at the Prospect Development League, the most signed guys or most committed guys were to UT. It just kind of shows where their program's going. But it wasn't that way when I was there. Rod DeMonico was the coach. He really focused out of state. Got a lot of guys from Florida in different places. So I didn't really have an opportunity until I was already committed to Middle Tennessee, which did not happen easily. I wasn't their first pick. It was really random. I love Jackie Robinson. I love those colors. They have the Dodger blue. Yep. And I just absolutely loved it. And I knew the coach there was just absolutely old school. He'd gotten 10 out of his last 11 guys that caught drafted. So I was like, this is where I want to go. It's the only place I want to go. I wrote nine emails and finally they showed up my house. He said, here's your scholarship. But first he pulled it back. I mean, literally yanked it back. He said, but first, do you really want to catch? Look me in the eye. I said, it's all I want to do, sir. He goes, good. I was about to leave and go home with your scholarship. I was like, that's how this starts. Let's go. Good way. I was so fired up to get ready to work with him because he, he, he put a little bit of a fire in me. I was a guy that yeah. liked that, that hard nosed, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what he was. He didn't even give us a T-shirt in the fall. I mean, oh, we had God. broken cleats. We had terrible jerseys. He's like, you guys got to earn it. I'll never forget <laughs> that. And that was instilled in me, and I think that's important. We got to create good men, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And you probably felt a little, uh, maybe not, maybe a little pressure there when you have nine out of or ten out of eleven get drafted there. That's a pretty good confidence there going into a situation where situation where you know, all right, my coach here. He wants results. He gets up here from the catcher position. Uh, I mean, that's got to be a good feeling. No, he's, I don't know, obviously the most important position on the field in some regards. He's going to put the most pressure on you. Did you ever find that catching a little bit too at times? Like the coach, I don't know, like, do you get a brunt? Do you get the brunt of the coach, coach's frustration at times? I was thinking about that as a catcher. Like, you know, because you're kind of the extension. I'm a basketball guy. I'm the point. You're the point guard. You're the extension of the coach. I would think sometimes the coach would maybe come at you differently than maybe some of the other players because you're the leader. Mm -hmm. Well said. I don't know how deep you looked into my stats from Middle Tennessee (laughs) my first year. It's not like you have Tampa Bay Rays as your – or the Rays as your hat. That threw us off for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) My first year at Middle Tennessee, so I never failed. I was really good. I'm I'm in the whole team of high school. But my first year at Middle Tennessee, I didn't even hit my GPA, not even my weight. So that's never a good thing when you think about baseball, especially when you thought, hey – 
there's no way I'll have a higher GPA than my batting average. Well, I did. I did. I had a way higher <laughs> GPA. It's because I went in and put on all that pressure yeah. of whether it was him, whether it was some of the other guys there that were really hard on me when I first got there because I was a youngster getting a lot of opportunities at a great fall. But, man, after fall, you know, we got in the weight room. I was crushing. I love, love iron. So I was eating it up. And then when spring came, I started out really, really great. I mean, really great. I caught a perfect game my first game. My first hit was a grand slam. And then I literally fell off a cliff. Now I'm talking Mount Everest cliff. Ended up hitting 169, went to summer ball, had a great coach that poured into me and really showed me something very simple that really got me back on plane and really able to hit a slider, which I didn't see a lot of in, in high school, especially that really good slider that was tight and kind of dropped mm -hmm. out of the zone. So I really struggled, and it was because I cared so much. So going back to your your statement about the catcher and does he take the brunt? Absolutely. Yeah. But I needed to learn that to be the man I was or be the man I needed to be. And I remember going back, my coach saying, Hey, you've got the job. We're raising your scholarship. And I was like, Do you know, I hit 169. How is he really standing? <laughs> he goes, Great summer, remarkable return. And he goes, Don't ever play third base again in your life. And I was like, Yes, sir. See you later. And I walked out. And he goes, One more thing, Mac. And I said, Yes, sir. He goes, it is your staff. Never forget it. And from that point on, I always had that ingrained. And that's what got me that scholarship raise. That's what got me the opportunity to catch my sophomore year from day one was me saying, my staff is doing well. My guys are doing well. He saw me take that leadership role. He saw me as an extension of the coaching staff and told me every single day I didn't play as a freshman, I had to be on his hip or the pitching coach's hip at all times. So I learned a lot. It really put me in a position to where I am today because I did that from 18 to 38. I mean, I never stopped being right next to the coaching staff, being that extension because I'm the only guy out of the field of play. Yeah. So I really am their extension. Now with the game clock and everything that's going on, you have to have a catcher that's very cerebral and understands what's going on and make sure guys are in position because if you have that clock violation, it flips that count, gives that team an mm -hmm. opportunity to really take advantage of you. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Josh, go ahead. Man, um, so mine's more – my curiosity is – who is the uh, most influential catcher during your professional career on you who helped mold you and help you guide your way during your career? Wow, that's good. Um, I would say a mixture of Sal Vizzano, Tori Alba, and Paul LaDuca. Oh, um, yeah, I like that name. There's some old yeah. school names there. Yeah, so Sal called me Pocket Hercules and made me follow him around. It was a little bit later in my career. I'll talk, I guess I should start with Tori Alba. So when I got into pro ball, <clears throat> they saw it hazing. You know, I carried all the bags. Yeah. I did everything possible. I had to create a scroll and introduce our first rounder every day differently. Um, was, was, <laughs> I saying I was a little teacup. I wish I was a little bit taller, which I absolutely brutalized. And then I also had to sing the Dominican national anthem in English. Don't know if you know much about Spanish, but it doesn't translate to English. So that didn't go right. over very well. And I tried so hard. I'm like, doesn't make any sense he goes that's the point figure it out i'm like okay i'm just trying my best so all that being said is tori alba pushed just as hard as everyone else everyone else but he also gave me a lot of grace he always also grabbed me and said hey let's think about this this and this during the game he was always teaching always pulling me and his son actually got close because of that and i'm so proud of what he's doing and that's what it's all about you know you want to give back to the the next generation make that generation better and he did. So did Salvazano. Both guys are continuing to do that. And Paul LaDuca, unfortunately, is kind of pushed out of the game. But he was a guy that shot it to me straight. 
you know, he was a guy that, you know, he was part of that steroid era. He was very open and honest about it. And he said, I maximize my chances. They kind of forced me into this issue. And the reality of it is you've got to do everything you can in the confines of what the rules are, which he was at the time, even though he got out of it and get there because you're little, you're stocky. They're not going to pick you right out of the gate. They're going to pick everyone else just because of the size you are, just like they did, they did me. And he shot me straight, gave me his glove and said, good luck. I'll never forget that. I really appreciate all the honesty because that's the biggest thing in this game. And I think all professional sports, there's not enough transparency, especially at the ground level to yeah. the top. It's sad to say, but if there was, I'm telling you right now, there is in certain organizations, and those are the organizations that continually win. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you, when you say like transparency, like, you know what I mean? I'll try to like, you know, what do you mean by that though? Like in terms of like, like, you know, obviously I think of the Braves, they win, they win every year. Right. You know what I mean? So like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so do you just mean like from the coaching standpoint on, there's a consistent level there and the, and the, each players are all on the same level, you know, they're all on the same kind of idea of how we're going to succeed as a group as a whole. Is that, is that kind of what you mean by transparency with it? The Braves are a great example of what to do. Yeah. You know, you, you put your bet in a human being. They have six or seven guys, I believe, that are locked up through 27. Yeah. That's telling you as a player in that clubhouse, if I do well and I do my job on a daily basis, I'm a good human being and I'm a character first guy and I show up, show my teammates what I'm all about, I'll be rewarded for it. Right. And then when I scuffle and I have that deal, I have nothing to fear, right? That's the biggest difference. I mean, you saw what Michael Harris Jr. just did, right? He really struggled out of the gate. He's playing hurt. His back's not feeling right. The trust they instilled in him let him get to 400 over a month. Yeah. A lot of teams give up on guys like that. When you give up on that guy, if you really believe on, in him, you have a chance of putting a seed in that head that won't go away, that ends up causing a mental block or the yips or something else that you can't return from. Or it comes back to haunt you because they go somewhere else and they get that freedom from another coach or another organization. And it's like, man, what did we miss on that? It's like, you forgot this dude's a human. Yeah. He's <laughs> a human. Maybe he would have been just fine, yeah. but it's, it's just being transparent because it is a business. It is cutthroat. But if you're upfront and honest with guys, a lot of times a big, all right, all right, I got it. I'll go down triple A. I'll figure it out. All right. I got it. I'm a bench guy for the rest of my career. I got it until, you know, push come to shove. I think that's an easier way to go about it than to think you're something that you're not because they're telling you nothing and you have coaches around you, you have players around you, you have family around you telling you you're one thing or yeah. not one thing. And that's tough. Being in that ether is just an awful place to be in this game. Yeah. I think that's where transparency comes in. And I know for a fact, the GM of the Braves goes down to the clubhouse. He talks to those guys. How do you like this guy? We're thinking about trading for him. He gets input from everyone. And there's a story about King Solomon. He wants the ear of the servant because the servant sees everything. So go ask the people that are actually on the ground, on the field. What do you see? What's going on? Who's a good clubhouse guy? Who's not? And that way you get real answers, but you have to feel like you can say the real thing yeah, and not just say, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because you're worried about your job or whatever. And that's mm. where that security and the belief comes in. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point there. Yeah, you got because as the player, you want to feel empowered a little bit as well. No, no doubt about it. You want to feel like you're invested. The team's invested there with no you. Doubt. Not, no doubt. No doubt. I have a really cool story about that. If you want to hear one really, really cool. Yeah, story. go ahead. Yeah. Daniel Bard. Dude signed with Colorado. Yeah, so I came up with Colorado. I'm in Colorado. It People are scared to death, Colorado, especially pitching there. And a guy that's coming off the yips. It's a place the ball's dry, the ball flies, things happen when you throw a, a sinker, it cuts, a slider will back up. It is a very tough place 
for mentally weak people or, or people that are trying to figure things out to go. He didn't even think about it. I said, what do you mean you didn't think about it? He said, honestly, I just felt wanted. And I didn't even realize I was going to Denver. I said, enough said. Yeah. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about any guys that signed a contract and then all of a sudden they're MVP. Right? Yeah. The, the pressure comes off of them. They, they get what they maybe needed to take that you know, little monkey off their back. But for Daniel Bard, he felt wanted. He didn't feel like a project. So that, that, that says enough to me. I mean, you see how good he's been. Obviously, yeah. he had a little hiccup in the World Baseball Classic, which, which happens with guys with that issue. But, man, yeah. he's just been so good because he's felt wanted. Yeah. I, I, I'm an A's fan, so I obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm going sorry. through a tough spot right now. <laughs> you're in a tough spot right now, bro. <laughs> tough spot right now, man. But at, but our franchise, I feel like, was always famous. They would give guys second chances, and mm-hmm. I think those players mm-hmm. always felt like – I would think of Mark Canna. And they, they felt like this confidence, like, I'm going to get a chance to play here, a chance to succeed. So I, I always felt like that was, like, the one benefit that they always played. They were cheap. But they let everybody at least play that, play it out, and so that was like one of the things uh, I always kind of noticed was the A's there. I'm in pain, like oh, all right, I'm in pain right now. These last four months have not been easy for me as an A's fan. I did appreciate the Seattle fans you, there. Did the little sell the team thing. I did like that. Yeah, you, you know what's crazy? What I heard the other day um, is that that the, the if after the um, A's moved to Vegas, which it's yeah. unfortunately it's going to happen, that they're looking at they're looking at expansion. Mm-hmm. which is I mean, to me to me it doesn't make sense if you're going to do that put it put a team in vegas put that expansion team in vegas you've seen what the nhl did yeah um the nba yeah. basically announced that they're putting a team in las vegas with their expansion you know you build you want to build the franchise not pull a franchise away from i mean we're me, me and josh are from from st louis so we know what that you know what what it feels like to, to have that you know team pulled away um for for basically greed almost yeah, it's, it's uh, well said. yeah um, it, yeah did you ever play in oakland i did i loved it yeah, okay you um, didn't have I, to deal with any possums or sewage leaks or anything there at the time That's no I mean, <laughs> I mean i've been yeah. there over 150 I, mean, I used to go to raiders yeah that that place is very special there's there there's something romantic about it though because you have ten thousand fans that are just die hard loyal mm. and they make you feel like you're at a hockey game in that giant stadium that holds what, 75,000 people probably. Yes. They took away some of the tarps. Yeah. So the fact that that happens, I, I think, just shows the loyalty that's there. And there's so much tradition there. I, I think they would have been fine. They just needed to redo it and, and make sure that they were doing something back for that community. That's what's the saddest part for me. Not just the fans, but the community that's going to take the knock because the way they're building these stadiums now, it's not just a ballpark. They're right. doing retail, they're doing apartments, they're doing the entire like mecca of what it is to live, work, play. And that's going to bring so much financial stability to families in that community. And that's what I hate about Oakland. I hope when they do expand that somebody maybe thinks about taking a team right back to Oakland. Yeah. You know, obviously they're going to Vegas. They're going to make a lot of money. The, the city's really pushing and they're going to get a lot of backing. And that's what they were looking for in Oakland. They just weren't getting the same backing but it wasn't the same deal and that's right. the sad part so I, I think it could have worked i hate that it's not i hate it for oakland um i think it's a really cool place and the tradition there is just unbelievable so i just hope they figure foul territory right right you have a lot of room to run back there to catch a foul ball oh right my now. gosh <laughs> oh my gosh yeah talk about 
making sure you own that nickname. That's where you want to own that nickname. Nothing gets by you there. It's funny. You mentioned Sal Fasado. I remember him on the A's. He played there. It's funny. We randomly, he's like a full period of like me and my brother and my buddy. Cause we were at it. We were at a game where he hit it. I mean, he hit the glass. He broke the glass up there in left field. And we hadn't seen that before. It was like for him, that name, Sal Fasado is a big deal. So it was funny to me when you, when you brought that up there. Um, you mentioned Pawtuck, or you played uh, in Pawtucket, the, the minor leagues system mm-hmm. there. I, I was curious because um, I think I read somewhere that you were, were you coached by Chili Davis there? Oh, I love Chili. Yeah. He was my the reason coach. I bring that up is because as an A's fan, I, it made me think of him because when I read that, Ray Fossey, who was the announcer here, passed away a few years ago. He would always rave about Chili Davis. Like, I mean, every broadcast, it felt like he would like say something positive about this guy. And the A's made the playoffs all three years he was there as the hitting coach. He went on from there. But I just – when you said that, like he – when I read something that you had felt like you enjoyed your time with him or something, I felt like I had to ask you that because I just always heard about him growing up here with Ray Fossey bringing him up. And so I'm just curious to get your thoughts on Chili Davis and maybe some of the impact he had on you there. Me and Chili hit it off immediately. Like I told yeah. you, I really got close with most, most of my coach. I even lived with my pitching coach in AAA my first year. Um, Chili was a different bird. I, and what I mean by that is he, he was a guy that, you know, you, you could maybe argue hall of famer, maybe not. He, he was a guy that had just incredible pedigree with, with the players and he would get in depth in the weeds if you wanted to, but he wanted it more than other guys, which you didn't see that very often. And I think you can only have that for certain type of human beings that want to coach. Some guys are chasing money. Some guys are chasing maybe their pension. He was there because he genuinely loved the game. And we would sit and we would talk about, you know, whether it was uh, the first baseman swing, second baseman swing, another guy on another team, the shape of the pitches. He he got me to start looking at video in the middle of the game. So I'd walk down, obviously have a delay now, but I'd walk down and see the shape of different pitches to see what was actually going on because he made me realize just because he throws 65% sinkers, it may be cutting that day. And sure enough, like how many times that really does happen is remarkable just because we never feel the same. Maybe there's a little blister on his hand. Maybe the ball doesn't feel the same. Maybe the air is just different. But he made me think a little bit different. He really grew me as a player and, you know, probably as a coach and an analyst. But, yeah, he was a special bird. And the, what he did in Oakland, I remember him calling me about Brandon Moss. Yeah. Mm. And they changed him completely, but he had to get Mossy to buy in. So Mossy would be that guy. He's kind of a meathead, Metallica. I'm going to go hit the iron right after the game and, Bench 350, just like me. Bench 350, <laughs> 400. And I want to hit the ball as far as possible. Yeah. But he needed to find a balance. Yeah. And Chili helped him find that. But it, it doesn't matter what the hitting coach does. It's all about what the player believes and what he trusts. And that's what Chili did with him really, really well. He bought into his trust, didn't change his personality, just said, hey, why don't we just maximize what you're really good at? Get on top of the plate, swing at everything down in the zone, and try to pull it in the stance. And sure enough, he had 30 homers. And yeah. then he hit 30 homers again. And that's what Chili did. He didn't try to recreate the rule. He said, hey, what are you really good at? Let's double down on it. And then let's look at what the organization is actually going to give you an opportunity to do. Right. You know, because he kept telling me, he's like, dude, you are not going to get to play every day down here. They want you to learn how to play every couple days because if Salty goes down, you're going behind Ver- Veritech. If Veritech goes down, you're going behind Salty, period. Any other way you're going to go play is you're going to have to get traded. And sure enough, I got traded. But he made me think just so much different. Another guy that was like that was Glenn Allen Hill. Just a very cerebral guy thought outside the box. Both guys get a little bit of pushback at times with, with the new age baseball, because they ask really good questions and they don't like that. Yeah. 
Glen Allen Hill hit that bomb. I remember in Chicago, oh, yeah. Chicago hit the was he hit it Mega on the roof there. It's like he's swinging a, a baby moose club, right? Just wow, just unreal, man. Still a go-to man, highlight man. if you ever need to see a bomb. That's that was one that got out there pretty far. Go ahead, Josh. All right, so since Brandon told you we're St. Louis folks, um, <laughs> I played with them for three weeks. I got one at back. Very. I, I saw that. I saw that because I went and looked up your whole history because I did not. I knew the name, but I didn't know enough about you. So I went and I was like, "Oh, cool! He was a Cardinal, all right." Because your actual, uh, your Wikipedia picture is in the card with the Cardinals. <laughs> um, just so you know, Wikipedia. So I don't, I don't know what you think about that, but um, as an announcer, um, because you're doing what something I always wanted to do as a kid when I was growing up. Um, I was a big Buck fan. I mean, I listened to him even in Indiana. We can pick up KMOX when I was a kid, and I can listen to him in Northern Indiana. So. Um, what's, what's your favorite part about being in the broadcast booth and what kind of things has it afforded you outside of revisiting the stadiums you got to play to visit as a player? So I tell this story a lot, but being a kid with two learning disabilities and not being able to speak in front of people, being really far behind in English, reading and all those different things, being able to just get in front of a camera and talk and get my point across is remarkable. I still get, you know, hot sweats. I still get um, really anxious at times and I'll forget names and stuff, but it's been fun learning how to deal with that and being in maybe hopefully an inspiration and motivation to some kids that have dyslexia or any type of disability that kind of holds them back and they're very timid to kind of jump forward. So first and foremost, it was a big fear. So being able to do this is, is special to me in that way. It's something that if anybody you met that knew me, all the way dating back to high school, college, especially my speech teacher, they would have told you I was like, absolutely insane for trying. <laughs> maybe they would have maybe made it a little bit nicer, but they would have been like, nah, not Michael. He, he ain't doing that. No chance. Um, so yeah, that's number one. And uh, number two, just being able to see the game differently. I, I did it because I knew um, when I walked through the game, I, I still could play. I, I was ready to walk away from the business side of the game and didn't know if this was the right route or wrong route, I just knew it gave me the balance to do a little bit of everything. So learn from different organizations, watch the game from a 10,000 foot view and try to figure out exactly what God was saying to me and what direction I should go. Still trying to figure that out, but I've created some really cool opportunities. Like I just said, I got to do fantasy camp with some 70 year olds who are like little kids. They pull their hamstring. They see still going. That's the only thing they have different than little kids. Cause it seems like little kids nowadays, you know, they have a prick in their finger and they're like, I'm done. I can't play anymore. They're out for a week. Put them on the aisle. These guys will have stitches. They'll blow out their hammy. They'll have no Achilles and they're still pitching. It's just kind of remarkable. It just shows the difference of the love for the game and knowing that you only have so many bullets left. And then I got to do USA baseball. I've gotten to do some really uh, cool things that maybe I wouldn't be able to do if I was coaching somewhere, or if I was in a business somewhere. Um, so it's been really fun to be able to do that. And then I don't travel as much as I used to. I've kind of stepped back the last couple of years. We're doing something different. I do a lot of in-game hits where I do analysis and breakdown. So I really love the X's and O's, you know, cutoffs, relays, the biomechanics of a swing, pitching, pitch design, all those different things, even the analytics I, I dive into in the middle of the game. So they'll bring me on the broadcast and I'll go through it. Sometimes I'll go over and actually be in the broadcast, but I don't do that quite as much right now. Kind of step back the last two years, try to figure out what this could be. And then maybe next year I'll get back more into the broadcasting moving around. Yeah. 
Like I've I've pulled my hamstring before. It's not very fun. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's by the way, why aren't you? Are you still not? Are you not chasing this dream anymore, Josh? Don't give up. Uh, I mean, that's why he's I, here I, now. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is my chasing that. I don't think I'll ever get to call a live game professionally, but don't say that. Never said never. What? No. Okay, told you, not man. never, but yeah. it's going to be like 20 years before I can get to it because I got a couple of young kids, I okay. got a wife, that's, that's I got to take care of the family first. That, that's better. So right. um, this this is, this is gives me my fix uh, would, for my that, dream. That would be really cool to do. I wouldn't lie. I won't, I won't lie. Uh, if I could do a hockey, a Blues game and a Cardinals game, I, yeah. I could die a happy man. Throw a Notre Dame football game in there too, and it's over. <laughs> it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do that. Well, I hope it happens for you. Oh, me right too. Now, right now, Josh is dominating baby or uh, bottle uh, bottle making. He just had a kid a couple of weeks ago, so he's got he's at that stage right now. So he's he's on he's on low sleep, making bottles every few hours. That's where that's the stage Josh is at. Right now. Well, well, keep up he's, the an, he's dream announcing probably while he's doing that. Over there. <laughs> just a little bit. Hey, Hey, I had a question come here from uh, my guy Tyler. He asked, uh, "What was you? Who's the nastiest guy you feel like you've ever caught, and maybe the nastiest guy you ever uh, you ever faced?" That's so, a good question. Yeah, it, and I'm sure it's a couple. <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always tough because who you guys would probably think yeah. isn't so because it, it depends on where you're at when you see him. It depends on a, a lot of different things. But the nastiest guy I ever caught, and I don't even know if you'll know this name. Samuel they do know. Any ever heard of him? That's a tough one for me. I don't know. I probably no. made, I, that one I haven't seen. What did he play for you with the Pirates? No, I caught him in the Rockies system. He okay. had a natural cut okay. on his fastball through 94 to 96, but he also would sink it at times. Okay. And it would move ex- I mean extreme. It wasn't like just a little bit. So I had to kind of figure out which way it was gonna go as he's letting go of it and play the ball that <laughs> oh, nice. Would. Yeah. He had a great changeup, played very similar to a split, and then he had one of the best curveballs I'd ever caught still today. So he had the best stuff. He just started relating, really made it to the big leagues, had some time with, I believe, Colorado, Houston, and the Twins. He pitched the World BC Championship for Dominican and won. Okay. Uh, really, really good stuff. Had some injuries, but he, he got a late start, and he's a wonderful human being. Can't, yeah. can't find a better person. Um, and then – Face facing wise, you know, <laughs> there's certain guys that I faced that were just locked in. Like I, I faced Rick Porcello in one of his best years, and oh, yeah. he, he was telling me he was telling me backdoor sinkers, and I felt like they were starting in the dugout, coming out of the dugout, and somehow clipping the plate. Couldn't figure <laughs> out how. That, that's what it felt like when I was hitting against him, and I'd go back and look at the film. I'm like, no way, that was not a strike. There's no way. And then familia. Oh, yeah. Milia was good in New York. As long if he threw you a splitter or a slider, he was a moron. It was like a gift. He's like, thank you, sir. Only way I was ever going to get a hit. But he never did that to me. He always threw me that sinker that just felt like a terrorizing bowling ball hammering in on me. And I'm like, oh, I got him. I got him. And then my bat's broken half again. You know, I see him out <laughs> plate and I'm like, yes, just perfect plan. And I'm swinging. I'm like, that's coming at my face. How's that coming <laughs> on my face? And I do this, and it's like bat goes 50 feet, ball goes four feet. And it's just a guy I couldn't hit. And usually I hit sinker ball guys good. Those two guys I did not. Um, yeah. Liriano was another one. I felt like he had a phantom pitch oh, yeah. of some sort. Once I caught him and almost called a couple no-hitters with him with Pittsburgh, I realized 
I was a moron for not listening to the scouting reports saying like, dude will not throw you a fastball in a fastball count. I was falling down like Fred Flintstone swinging just right into the ground every time. But you live and learn. You, you think you got it figured out and you don't. You just continue to show up every single day and try to play the game you love so much. But yeah, there's some really good arms out there. And as you said, it's probably a lot of it's probably matchup related, how you face these guys at certain times, how they're throwing that. So, I mean, Santana, I mean, that slider was just as nasty as it gets like that, like down at your feet. Yeah, he had it really rolling there for, I, I kind of forgot he went to the, he was with the Pirates. No, no, no. Uh, Liriano. Liriano. Oh, Liriano. I mean, yeah, Liriano. I got him in Santana because Liriano played for the Twins as well. See, uh, I, I like Johan Santana. I, I like facing him as long as he didn't throw me a change up every time. As long as he one fastball, I was really happy. You yeah. can me a change up every time. I would just walk back to the dugout. Um, I saw some highlight of you where you had to catch. Maybe it was the guy you're talking about from Colorado. You had like, I don't even know how you caught it. It looked like you went, you went behind the batter or somewhere in that Miami. Was, like, was that him? Okay. Was, was that Charlie? <laughs> yeah. Did you have your eyes? It looked like you had your eyes closed. I don't know how you caught that one. We're looking at that one. <laughs> it's an optical illusion. If you go back and look at it, it's not real. No. no not it, was, real. it was one I'll of the things. <laughs> yeah. Char Charlie was pitching. I believe at that time with the partial torn labrum, um, <clears throat> that game I ended up tearing my meniscus in half and it got stuck. So oh. it was a wild game. We ended up winning. We both yeah. finished the game. He he got the win. And I finished all nine innings. It was a crazy game down in Miami. It was my last game as a pirate, but it was a uh, it was a special game because of all that. We had to fight through some things and ended up winning because you know, I was a backup catcher at the time and Russell Martin was kind of banged up. So I just stayed in the game, you know finished it, figured out a way, and we ended up winning and ended up making the playoffs that year. So I always look back at that game and forget about that jump behind that I had, but it was a crazy game when you think of all the elements that were at play. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, with you playing professional ball and stuff, how how difficult was, like, seeing, or even for yourself, how difficult was was getting out of those kind of funks when it comes to, you know, hitting or just, just like, your, like every day, like, like, man, I'm tired. Like, how, how did you – mentally prepare yourself to you know as you say you catch seven caught 17 games in a row you know that, that's it's got to be tiring yeah I, the one regret i have is not facing the situation that i was in at the moment mm -hmm. and kind of seeing expectations and pushing them out the door you know expecting the best but being prepared for the worst right you know you're never ready when you, when you're playing for two and a half months and then a guy comes back off the DL and you just sit for three weeks. You're never ready to, you know, your entire life be a starter or a guy that is at least splitting time to being a backup. Mm -hmm. All those things are things I wish I would have taught myself prior to, because those were the harder things to learn in the midst of being in the greatest talent in the world. Yeah. So that, that's probably the, biggest struggle I had was identifying exactly where I was because I was always somewhere in between. You know, I'd have really, really good stretches. I'd have really bad pitfalls, but a lot of that had to do with emotion mm -hmm. and just being able to carry it the right way because I was really hard on myself. Even if I hit two homers, I would think about the two strikeouts I had in the same game. It's just one of those things that I should have done a better job. I don't regret it in the least because it, it's taught me to be able to teach guys a little bit different. And I really think about guys' personality instead of thinking about a philosophy or anything else because the personality is really the all that matters until they can get that hammered down and those emotions in check. The philosophy is just a theory. So it, it was a great thing and a bad thing from, I guess, great thing for me now, bad thing while I was playing. So it's tough. You got to find your own way. And it's always different. 
Because year to year, you're going to be a little bit different. You're going to feel a little bit different. You may be stronger one year. I mean, in 2012, I hit 12 homers. 2013, I started out the year six weeks. I'm crushing the baseball. And then I try to do more. And I fall off the map for about a month and a half. And then I start catching fire and I get hurt. But nobody looks back at the the weeks, right? They look back and say, oh, this was his year. This is how he did. Mm -hmm. And, And you have to be able to fight through that. You have to look at the good, find the wins that you have right in front of you. And if you can't do that, you're going to really be in a flow state that you don't want to be in of just almost misery. And then you lose the love you have for the game. You know, I tell guys all the time, enjoy the moment, good, bad, or ugly, learn from it, grow from it and move on because it's very short lived. Even if you're fortunate enough to me and get to play 14 years, it's still really short. That's a good point there. Uh, eight, we got Ryan checking in here. Ryan's up. We got, uh, how you doing there? Uh, he he <laughs> brings up a question about uh, McCutcheon. And as we kind of bring up McCutcheon coming back to the Pirates, I kind of want to transition just a second to the team that you you did, you know, that you do it else with here in the Pirates. They were 41 and 49 on the year. They, they got off to this great start. You know, they kind of slowed down a little bit since then. They struggled going into the break. I believe they have two wins in July heading in there uh, this month. Where do you see them at? They're, they're, to me, they're, they're kind of, to me, still exceeding expectations in the sense that I feel like with O'Neill, Neil Cruz going down early, them holding the fort for a little bit. Just kind of curious on where you feel like the Pirates are right now. And then, obviously, they had the number one pick, and the, the guy looks pretty electric there as well. So uh, how do you feel about the Pirates uh, right now and you know this point of the season? They're stuck in between. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, yeah, you had O'Neill go down. They played their best baseball for about six weeks after he went yeah. down. Yep. And you kind of look at kind of how that unfolded. I mean, they lost a lot of good players. Velasquez, JT Brubaker, they lost one of their top prospects in AAA, Mike Burroughs. A lot of guys have gotten hurt, and they've just kept trucking along. I think where they've kind of <clears throat> kind of failed in, in some regard is the trust they've allowed in certain guys at times and then completely just pushed aside other times. And I think they got to make that decision now or the season will be kind of – what just happened and then you're looking into next year and they're still trying to figure out exactly who they are, especially when it comes to the identity they want to create. I think since you guys are St. Louis fans, that's a great example of a team that's always had an identity and they're lost right now. That's where the pirates are. It's like, do you just go all young? You trade off these veteran guys that have really built a culture that you've never had and have poured in these guys. You may lose the clubhouse, but if you bring in these young guys and you keep one or two veteran guys around to kind of hold the glue because you're going to keep them around maybe next year and the following year, Andrew McCutcheon being one of them, I think you're going to have something really special because they have a lot of talent. They have a ton of prospects that are really, really growing, but how much trust are they going to embed into them? Is Indy Rodriguez going to come up catch? Hedge is going to be pushed out. Obviously delays. The guy that's probably going to stay around, be that third catcher for him and Henry Davis. Are you going to put Henry Davis behind the plate? There's a lot of question marks. And I think, Going back to that trust and betting in the human being, Mitch Keller, just an all-star. <clears throat> you look back a year ago, right? In 2022, dude had a 6.2 ERA career, <laughs> right? Three years in the big leagues. Not, I've never seen anything like it. They kept giving him chance after chance after chance. It took almost two years. They finally put him in the bullpen. He reinvented himself. The offseason before when it came to his biomechanics and his mobility and everything else was throwing absolute thunderbolts, was still getting rocked. And then he went out there, developed a pitch or two, and then came back a different human being. Now he understands himself, has an identity. 
but that just shows it's a process and it's different for every single guy. Mm-hmm. If you bet on the right guys, you're going to win just like the Braves have. If you bet on the wrong guys, you're going to lose. And that's where small markets have a very, very fine window that they can play with. And big markets have a huge window where they can drop guys like it's hot if they're not, you know, producing or if they're a bad character guy, they can say, hey, see you later. That 10 million doesn't really matter to us anyways, where that could hurt the Pirates or these other small market teams. But I think they're close, but it really depends on how fast they want to choose the identity they want to create. Like great example is the first pick overall. I yeah. hope he doesn't go to the minor leagues. He's going to. But you want to have a fan base wrap their arms around the Pittsburgh Pirates, bring him to the big leagues, put him in the bullpen, and make sure that you're monitoring his workload from the bullpen. He pitches every couple of days, one, two innings, sit down, dude stuff electric. We haven't seen anything like it, <clears throat> in my opinion, over the last two decades. Maybe Strasburg, but I think he's more refined. Maybe Pryor, I think he's more refined. And he's a different cat in the head. You'd almost say develop him, develop him like the Cardinals did with Adam Wayne, right? And kind of start the dull, bullpen and then work his way to become or David a Price or Matt Moore yeah. Yeah. or some of those guys. Yeah. When you said yeah, Pryor, I, were you mean Mark Pryor? Mark Pryor, yep. Yeah. Oh, geez. You think he's that? I do. I do. Oh, crap. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, exciting, is, <laughs> how exciting is the NL Central going to be in about three or four years? And then uh, we got I think it's going to be really Walker. exciting next year yeah. with the Reds. The, the yeah. Reds and Cubs are going to be really, really good, especially if they get that Stroman deal done. They have Stroman steel, and they have some really electric prospects, and they had a really good draft. The Reds, I don't think anybody realizes how good they really are and how yeah. good they've done at rebuilding kind of in silence. I think they'll sign back Votto. He'll be a staple. He'll do what he needs to do. Maybe on a one-year deal, he'll be the cutch. And you see how he's getting re- rejuvenized because of all the youngsters around him. He's, he's the grandpa. But they love him, right? And that, that's what it's all about. And I think you mix that with the draft they just had. They just got rated as the best draft. I, I think that guy in Wake Forest will be up in the big leagues possibly this year. I, I hope to see him this year because I think his talent's that level. And they also got uh, the Saturday guy from LSU who could be in the big leagues within a year. So you put all that together, they just kind of filled some holes they needed to fill. They have a huge crop of players when it comes to positions that they have – the ability to go out and get some more and they have a ton of money that they're going to be able to spend when Mustakas comes off the books, Votto resigns because his $23 million, $18 million for Moose that is gone. And they're already under budget than that they've been in the last couple of years. But I think Baltimore, when you think about any team that's going to be scary over the next couple of years, Baltimore has got to come to the front of your mind. Yep. The, their coach actually is from from Sonoma County, their area out here. He went to high school nearby, Brandon Hyde. So definitely pulling for the Orioles out there. They got some talent that they've built up there, and it is ready to go. It's definitely uh, the Rays and them. My, they're going to take uh, to be there to take the Rays over next year. That's I mean the Rays are good, but I feel they have a lot of free agents. We'll see what they do. Uh, the Rays going forward as well. So just to the NL Central real quick. Who do you? So we talked about the Reds. It's flipped this year, right? Cardinals have just fallen off the map. When it's weird with Bullshit mm-hmm. and Arenado, mm-hmm. they're the guys there. Well, did I don't you say fall off the map because it's not very often I can say that about the Cardinals. Hey, right? did the you Cardinals. guys see it coming? <laughs> did we see it coming? Yeah, you guys are such your St. Louis fans. Did you oh, not no. see that coming? Absolutely not. Really? Absolutely okay. not. With the pitching? So, with the pitching, I knew it yeah. was. Yes. I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't realize it was going to be this bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I figured we'd be a 500 team. Maybe a, just under 500. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. My my biggest fear for you guys was health. I mean, yeah. every single guy you have 
almost in that rotation has had health issues every yep. single year. So you were looking at five guys that were going to start that year that have not. Oh, no. Moe said we had six starters. Moe said we had six starters. We're lucky if we have one for sure start now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's been wild. It's horrible. Yeah. That sounds like it's, we have two quarterbacks thing right there. We have two. That's, that's the point. Yeah. Well, and, and also think like the uncertainty with all those guys, you know, when they did the whole thing with Wilson Contreras, he didn't know what to say. That means they hadn't talked to him. That's yeah, never correct. a good thing, right? And that's not St. Louis way. Right? You know, they're usually, you know, you think about St. Louis, you think about good culture, good teammate, great transparency. Well, when they they fired uh, Schultze and they they then Matt Holiday left in the middle of the offseason. It just seems that's weird, when I knew something was wrong. Right? It just seems weird. It doesn't seem like the St. Louis. They're in the headlines and for things they're never in the headlines for. Yeah. So that was a big kind of red mark for me to say, what's going on there? They got to figure some things out. I, I I think the biggest thing for me is the is the the offense. Like you, they they go they go in spurts. You know they'll they'll have a game where they're you know putting up fourteen you know twelve thirteen fourteen runs and then for two or three straight games, it's, it's zero, one, two, you know, like the, the offense on paper should be one of the more prominent offenses in, in, in baseball with some of the guys that they have, but they're not. But you guys were just talking about NFL. Think about great defensive teams. Think about yeah. great offensive teams. Yeah. The other side feels like they have to carry the load. You know, if, yeah. if you're great at one and not so good at the other, you're feeling like you have to constantly carry that load and you can't, mm-hmm. you end up putting more pressure on yourself and then the times you don't hit, they don't pick you up. Right. And that's even tougher. Yeah. That's why baseball is one, one hell of a sport because of that. You guys can go – like the offense can be raking, and then if all three pieces aren't together, it's like, well, yeah. like we lost 11-10. You know what I mean? And then it's like, well, well we got to do it again. <laughs> we, we lose two to one. It's, it's a crazy sport, and it's such a mental grinding sport yeah. in that regard. What? What? Uh, you you have a question, Brady? No, no, I was just say what's going to be curious is how many one-loss games the Cardinals – are going to yeah, lose this year too. So we've lost nineteen. <laughs> yeah, already. Oh wow! I mean, it's it dude, you can't be far off. You know what I mean? That that just shows that you're not far off. You're you're a bullpen arm away. You're you know a a maybe three outs from your starters away on yeah. on multiple occasions to to be in a different team. And I'm not going to count them out. They're the Cardinals. Right. Nolan Arenado is one of my good friends. I'm not going to ever bet against that guy, Goldschmidt. You can't bet against these guys. Adam Wainwright's probably the nicest dude in Major League Baseball, and he's a born leader. So you just wrap all this together, and I'm just saying you can't bet against them, but they've really put the entire stack of the world against themselves. Not, not, not well, to they- jinx the division leader of the NL Central, but uh, I'm pretty sure they haven't uh, won the NL Central after the All-Star break. It's been somebody else who's uh, – Stepped up to the plate to to win it. I th- Dude, I'm pretty evil. positive. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. That's evil. Um, it's true. Look at Milwaukee. It's been two straight years. They've had the lead at the at the All Star break, and then they just completely collapse. After and they, that. May, they may flip script. You know, like yeah. you look at how they started. It's how they've ended the last couple of years. So yeah. that may be a flip of script. Maybe they were doing some things different. So. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting division. I, I still think the Reds are super electric, and they have some guys coming off the IL. I think when you look at uh, – is it Abbott or uh, – no, Ashcraft. He's one pitch away from being Burns, in my opinion. He's a, he's a, a slower curveball away from being as good or better than Burns because he has better stuff. 
he just doesn't know it yet, I don't think. And because he's so grouped into speed, everything's hard. Everyone that I've talked to that's hit against him is like, dude, everything's hard. Everything moves away from you. If he has anything that slows us down, we're in trouble. Yeah. So. Hard to throw so, change up. So would you? So do you like the Reds or the Brewers then to win this division? You got somebody else, or do you think the Cardinals can still pull? Like, do you have a hunch? Like to me, I've been taking the Brewers from the beginning. I just believe in their. I believe they have the three of the best pitchers when they're on in the division. That was my. I know they've been even hurt this year. That's kind of my theory with it. You have Williams and you have the two starters, and I just figure their offense will figure it away around away as they go. And they've kind of been there the last couple of years. Um, I feel like they're coming to an end maybe after this year with Burns leaving. We'll see what happens there, but. Do you have a, a feeling where it might lend? Is it the Reds? Do you think finish it off this year? I think it'll be the Reds and Cubs down the line. Oh, wow. Okay. I think the Brewers have lost their clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think what they did with Corbin Burns in arbitration kind of kicked off a year that you saw coming, if that makes sense. Yeah. It definitely Dude wasn't hurts. the vibe you want at the start. Dude of the was literally hurt by that. And you know that affected the clubhouse. When they traded – um, hater last year that clubhouse was hurt yeah they were broke and i i know it's a game you got to recover from it, you got to show up but like that also plays in the back of all those guys minds yeah so really depends on what what they believe in that clubhouse if the clubhouse takes over they'll win if the front office and and the staff has you know a little bit of a whisper inside that head they got no shot I guess they uh, they took the transparency a different way. They just said, you know, they did it a little bit. They, 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 they arbitration, they told them out. <laughs> so you know, there was that part of it. But you're right. I get that. It, again, Bay Area, green punch pool in the face. You don't want good, you don't want bad starts to a season. And so no. when Milwaukee happened, you're right. That's not the best start in that regard there. Uh, Josh, you got another one here? Okay. So two-part question. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite stadium and why? And then which stadium, if you can answer this, has the best, like, specialty food item? So I'll say PNC and then move on to pick an actual different one. <laughs> but if you PNC have – PNC is beautiful. Like, ser- seriously, it's the best backdrop. If, if God created the best backdrop and best place on the planet to watch a baseball game, it has to be PNC. Um, with that being said – I love St. Louis. I, I do. I, I did not like playing there um, just because they had Hell's Kitchen for our <laughs> batting cage. It was down and there was like water, kind of had like a little water moist feel to it. And the humidity in there is 192 degrees every day. So that's to their advantage. So they should win every game because when you go hit in the cage, you literally almost die. You get out, you get some oxygen, you get your IV, and then you have to go play a game in that 102 degree weather somehow in the armpit of America. It's unreal how hot it is there, but I the love armpit of America. The fans are remarkable. So yeah, that that's probably my, my second favorite. I loved Houston too. I, I got to throw that in there. I don't know why I played well there. I liked it there. Philadelphia I played well there. I liked it there. It just had a really cool feel to it. I thought the fans were good to you. If you played well, terrible to you. If you didn't, I love that fact in baseball, you know, they, they rag you, but they'll also pat you on the back if you kind of beat them in the face a little bit in, in a certain series. So really respect that. These are like that too. Um, when it comes to food. So Baltimore had great food. I think we got steak and seafood almost every night. I mean, right on the water. Um, I was a rookie there. So that was really, really cool. 
But when it comes to staple, the Philly cheesesteak, dude. In Philadelphia, they, they have a contest. They, they leave it up. They have this marker up. Who's eating the most? One of our former strength coaches, Jasper. I hope you're okay with that 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 indigestion you probably got. He ate like 28 or 30 in a three-game oh my God. So oh, I say they're good. Smokes. Good, man. They're so good. So I've been to Philadelphia once. Mm-hmm. Um, I had cheesesteaks because I, I grew up in, in Indianapolis watching the Indianapolis Indians. I don't know if you ever played there or not. Yeah. Okay. That might be where I know your name from because I went to games every against, summer. I never played with them. I played against them. Okay. Well, I knew you were a pirate forever, so and they used to be affiliated. Yeah. I, I, I never sure. played in the minor leagues in the Pirates organization, believe it or not. Gotcha. Okay. Um, my apologies then. No, no, you're um, good. I would have loved to play there. It seemed like an awesome city. Dude, they really love their baseball. I think they're setting all types of attendance records this year. And if you haven't seen what Miguel Adahar is doing there, it's unreal. I mean, it's a great little ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I had a Philly cheesesteak in Indy. I thought it was great. Went to Philadelphia with work. I ended up having four cheesesteaks while I was there from <laughs> all different places. And then I went to the Reading Market and had that famous sandwich over there, too with that sharp cheddar and the greens. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that? I have not, but it sounds amazing. You're making me hungry. Dude, right next now. time you're there, it's, man, Denix. It's Denix and Reading Market. Denix? <laughs> Denix. I, that. I promise you that. Dude, hit it up. All right, I will. Yeah, I mean, they sprinkle a little crack inside each Philadelphia cheesesteak, so pretty sure that's why you like it so much, but, man, it's so good. So are you a whiz guy or are you an actual cheese guy on your cheesesteaks? I like to put pepper jack. I like to mix it up a little oh, bit. Yeah. I'm not a whiz guy. Um, I, I, the fat kid in me probably is, but uh, <laughs> normally I just like that pepper jack. All right, cool, cool. Pepper yeah. jack is solid. You? It's a you? solid cheese choice. Um, I'm onions, and I, I prefer provolone. If you can Ooh. give it a dash of uh, teriyaki while it's on the grill, I'm oh, down with that too. Stop it. It <laughs> cook for me now. Come on, oh, Josh. God. Are you gonna eat now? Hey, I'm I'm looking to get a blackstone so I can start doing this on the regular. Hey, I actually speaking of that, there it's not a blackstone. It's like the it's like a knockoff char griller. Yeah. They had them at Target, so it was like a 28 inch. We, we actually just got one. Call it the Black Rock. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. Yeah, Black. Well, that's fine. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, black Rock. Um, they had they had there was like a 300 dollar grill and they had it on sale for like 130 bucks it was like 65 percent off or something like that so i was like yeah dude like yeah let's throw it, like, it in the car like we're taking that home with us tonight how is it it's good it's good i i like it and it's, it's got the whole grill top it's fantastic nice nice have yeah. you have you guys gotten a sous vide yet do you sous vide no. at all with your steaks come no. on mm-hmm. no guys it's like giving your meat a bubble bath <laughs> You gotta, you gotta look it up. Look it up after we get off. Suvi. Yeah. I've, so I've heard of it with vegetables. I've never heard of it with meat. Oh I don't think. Gosh. So you, you set it, forget about it for about an hour and a half. You come back, it's the perfect temperature. 135, 131. I like mine rare. So choose about 130. And then you throw it on the skillet. You char it on top, both sides. And it is as good as you're going to get at Ruth Chris or anywhere else as long as you buy good meat. So yeah, it's giving your meat a bubble bath. You think about it. What meat's not going to like that? Huh? Dude, I got I got half a cow coming, and I get to get it butchered any way I want. I'm gonna have to try this out a couple times. You put it in a little in a little baggie, and you toss it in. And it gets a little bubble bath, maybe. You know? Yeah. Nice. 
I, for, so for for dinner tonight, I had a St. Louis specialty. I had toasted ravioli. Uh, oh. Did you ever? Did you ever? Have you ever had any of those? When you- Absolutely, they actually yeah. had that every now and then in St. Louis. Not yeah. not often. It was so predictable there. We played there so much, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good stuff. You guys ever had pierogies from Pittsburgh? Yes, I have not. No. Well, I've I had invitations, never from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I haven't been to Pittsburgh, so. Like, we gotta clean this up. Yeah. Pittsburgh, come watch St. Louis get beat sometime. PNC, <laughs> it's beautiful ballpark, and get yourself a pierogi. Maybe, maybe bet on the pierogi race because they have <laughs> yeah. awesome. I'll be down for that as long as you give us a tour of the stadium while we're there. <laughs> <laughs> give the That's great. We'll even bring you over to the studio so you can look at the ins and outs of how that works. That'd be, That'd be so awesome. Definitely on our list. That stadium is obviously I've been out to Pac Bell or it's Oracle now out here at the Giants. That's a good stadium too. Uh, I, have, but, stadium. Okay. I hated playing there. That that marine oh. layer. Yeah. It's, it's like you feel like superhuman. You know, okay. you're in BP, balls flying out of the yard. Yeah. You need the same ball in the game, and it's like oh everything. <laughs> it's, it's just not fair. Giants. What Buster Posey did there, what Barry Bonds did there. They should get double points because oh, it's man. 108 during the day and it's 70 or below every single night. It's the, it's the coldest stadium on average every year. Did you wow. know that? I did living then going to the games. Yes. In July, I have to bring a blanket when we used to go there. So yeah. Right. What? <laughs> July and you have to bring a blanket. Yeah. yeah it gets crazy in San Francisco in the summer. Yeah. Does it like at no nighttime, idea. the Marine layer comes in and you just get, it used to be worse at candlestick when it was more open like that, but uh, that was back in the day, but yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we usually have to wait till October for it to get cold at Bush. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still a thousand degrees inside that silly cage they have down there. Hey, it's I went to Cincinnati. Bush Stadium used to have AstroTurf. I, I can't believe they had yeah. AstroTurf with that stuff. I remember like the videos of Ozzy Smith and like the heat. Cup. <laughs> it's still crazy to me that like Pittsburgh too. I do it hot there. Like it's just crazy that that was a thing. AstroTurf on like those 110 degrees. Yeah, those, those dudes didn't take days off. No, man. <laughs> they're literally getting the astroturf burning through their soles of their feet, but they didn't take the next day off. They just got a new pair of shoes. Crazy. Nowadays, they take like eight days off a month. It's just a different game. <laughs> different. Hey, uh, I know we're getting on hour here. Appreciate your time with us so far. We just got a, few, a little bit more with you, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's go. Uh, hey, I, I got it. Oh, Tawny, I got to ask you from somebody that is coaches around TM. You're around as many players probably that we ever. I don't even know what – I mean, what do we even say about this guy? I mean, he's just like, to me, a one-of-one. One. And some people are like, I've heard, well, they're, gonna, you know, they're, they're drafting more pitchers. They're drafting more hitters. I don't know. To me, this guy is just a one-of-one. One. What you, what's your thoughts on watching this guy? Uh, he's a zero-zero. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right there. I guess he's not human. I guess we'll say that. He's zero-zero, not human. God has created what I am. I just – I don't know what to think of him. He's throwing 97, and then he goes up and hits a home run. Nuts. Yeah, and so – I just watched some of the best players in the country. There was more two-way players there, they said, than they've had in the last maybe decade. And I think it has to do with Otani. Now, the problem is in the United States, we just had a guy, I think his name's Bubba Chandler. He was going to go to Clemson and be a quarterback, so it shows how talented he was athletically. He's already just a pitcher. And I think that's the problem. In the United States, we give up on guys so fast because we see – maybe a tag that we can put on him to get him to the big leagues a little bit faster. Well, Tani stayed in Japan, didn't play maybe the same caliber of talent when it comes to the minor leagues. So he got to develop into two different animals. And I hope they allow that first off. 
But when it goes just to Atani, I just saw uh, one of the writers say this nationally. He said he could be a one-year deal at $80 million. I'm going to put this in perspective. Holy crap. Aaron Judge is making $40 million. You cannot make an argument that he shouldn't be paid $40 million because Aaron Judge paid $40 million because he's probably going to hit 55, 60 home runs possibly this year. Mm-hmm. Now look at it on the pitching side. You can't argue that he's not Max Scherzer, Verlander, Garrett Cole. They're all making over $40 million. I mean, obviously they're making more than 40, but I'm just sticking at 40. So Judge is making like 43-4 or 44-4 or something. Garrett Cole is making 40-plus. So that's $80 million a year. So now they're going to have to do some incentive base, but like there's a good chance he gets $50 million guaranteed and then up to $80 million. That's what the, the article said, and I don't see how you get around it. They're going to have to defer so much money for this guy. But I think the money that he's going to bring in internationally is going to make up for it. And then you think about the caliber of play. He is a $60 million player almost year in, year out. He should have won the MVP last year. And I'll argue my face off about it because he's two players. You cannot tell me that two players shouldn't be the MVP. But because Judge is in you know, New York, he didn't get it. And the reality of it is if a Tani ends up in New York, he will beat 61, in my opinion. That's how good he is. And he's playing in a graveyard comparative to New York. So yeah. he's got 31 homers right now, something like that. And he's got a chance right, to win. He hit 32. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's silly. He's leading the league in strikeouts, triples, OPS. I mean, he's on and on and on. Homer. <laughs> I, stolen I, bases. He's like, he's got 20. I mean, it's just he he's a freak. You know, I remember when he first came over, it's kind of what you said. People wanted to put a tag on. They're like, well, what if he just had hit? all the time imagine how dominant he'd be and in my head i'm like he what's he matter? Did it yeah he's dominant both ways what are you taking right. away but yeah so. he taught himself how to do that and he became a dh i mean i don't think people realize how good he is in the outfield oh, he's an yeah. elite defender he has elite speed yeah so i mean you throw him in the outfield he may be one of your best outfielders okay. it's wild this guy is, is a special breed but that's what a lot of <clears throat> guys are when they when they're in high school it's just he made a decision not to come to the United States at 18, stayed over there with great advice from one of his coaches, and he developed into something that we've never seen before. And I hope they allow some guys over here to do the same thing. I mean, I just left some guys, some of the best pitching prospects at that camp were all two-way guys. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you by the time they get to pro ball, you don't hear about it. Maybe even college. They become a PO or they become, you know, a guy that hit his freshman year and they're like, you just need to do that. That's not where the money is. Well, the reality of it is if you can do both, there's more money there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's no. going to change. If that happens, it's going to change the whole, the whole look of how baseball and how prospects are, are, are trained and, and brought up. Um, and I think the way just, the game, you guys answer this for me, I got a question for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the starting pitcher has been dying slowly, yeah. right? I think the new age starting pitcher is going to be older guys that have sustainability that can pitch like maybe 200 innings a year. I think that's a value, even if he has a four, eight, that is incredibly valued because of the innings that are not picked up along the way, because they're building a bunch of Ferraris and Lamborghinis and there's no more Pintos. There's no more reliable civics. There's nothing that we're, you know, you're going to get 200,000 miles on this guy. and He's not going to break down. These guys are going, you know, 10,000 miles and they're broke. So my my thought is, is that you're going to see more guys with really good arms that could possibly pitch. So you create more value 
and I know they fiddled with this. We had a guy in Pittsburgh I wish they would have done it with. He could hit. He played off the bench. He's, I believe, in Korea now. But he threw 94 off the mound. He had good feel. He threw a lot of strikes, had a breaking pitch. Every time he came in, he shut the door. He came in, obviously, when we were losing. But think about that value if you can do that every week when you're up 5-6 or down 5-6 and what that does for the bullpen in an entire season. That yeah. saves your bullpen for a night. So the next night when you're a one-run game, the dude you needed to close the sixth inning out is there instead of him being gone because he threw three days in a row. So I think there's going to be value in keeping guys viable all the way through the minor leagues into the big leagues. Or if a guy has a good enough arm and he's able to throw strikes, I think it's going to be something we see in the near future because I don't know where they're going to get the innings otherwise. Yeah. I, I, I think you're kind of talking about like the, the whole change of things with, with, you know, relying on multiple guys mm-hmm. to to get you through things. I think we're seeing that now. I mean, not that we're now seeing it, but if you look at the NFL, if you look at running backs, that's right. almost how they're doing things with running awesome. backs now. You know, awesome. they're they're working with with more of committees, running back committees. You know, three, two or three guys that can get you, you know, twenty carries instead of the one guy who can get you forty. Only play, you know, ten years instead of having that committee you know stretched out and bringing in you know new faces and new speed and new stuff you know every two or three years to keep that committee and keep that that not not pressure but just wear and tear off of off of some of the older guys yeah being being able to float around and have versatility yeah i think they've tried to do it positionally but i I think it's going to come to where like who's reliable in certain areas and how can we build the greatest depth, but also keep all of our guys on the field the longest. I mean, injuries in in all sports. And I think it's because information is so readily available, but it's so crazy how much it's grown with the the change in nutrition, the change in technology, the change in understanding. These guys are super freaks, you know, but I don't remember back in the day, all these guys getting hurt. I mean, there's a Tommy John every other, every other minute. It seems like there's an ACL in the NFL every other minute. And it's like, what happened? We're, we're doing all these rules. We're doing all these things to protect these guys. They have sleep studies. They have sleep coaches. They have nutritionists. They do blood work. They are taking every supplement known to mankind. But yet, injuries are going up and up and up. There's got to be a give and take. They've got to figure that out. And I think that's something that's going to be the next level that every sport will take. And it's not from playing less, in my opinion. Because if that was a fact, you wouldn't have Vince Carter playing what, 118 years in the NBA as a big dude, which is just not something you see. And he played hard. Yeah. You know, I think it's just the yeah. reality of like, you know, what do we have to do? What's the mentality we have to give? And what's hurt? What's injured? You know, what's I cannot play? What's I can play through and understanding what's your 100%, your 90%, even your 80%. Yeah. I watched some guys be really good this past last two or three months have been playing hurt and they're playing well because they understand who they are. A lot of people don't know they're hurt, but they're playing really well because they've, identified hey i can play good enough and at least better than most at 80 mm-hmm. percent the the pitching things always I, i've it, usually in sports usually we we talk about how they get everybody evolves the, the, the players evolve the pitching to me is the ones sport where I'm like as right shoulders just gotten worse over time like you know what i mean like as human beings like i think i, I all that's true i think we're we're, we're not making having people throw as much we're not doing all that but it, in my head i'm like <laughs> In 1971, Vita Blue threw 28 complete games. I mean, and then he still pl- played 13 more years. I mean, and it just blows my mind 
for me, it does take a little bit away from just the nostalgic part of the game where you have a guy go eight innings instead of five guys go one. He's like, we just had a no hitter from the Tigers last week. And I was like, you know, it's cool. No hitter combined, no hitter, but like, it's not, there's no, like, yes. Like that's a cool thing. I'm going to go look for on the line. I, it, it is. It's, I don't understand how pitchers just, how we haven't got evolved more in that regard and how pitcher, how starting pitching has regressed in the sense of amount of innings. I just, I don't understand that. All right. Here, here's some homework for you. Go uh, and look at how many complete games there have been in the minor leagues from every level the last okay. decade. Okay. okay. It'll blow your mind. I, I don't even, I've never done this before, but I'm guaranteeing you the fall off in that because of the protection they try to have. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have in today's game. I think analytics are the greatest gift to baseball and the worst enemy at all the same time, because you have a lot of decisions being made without putting in perspective what's going on in the field, the human being, and they've really never tested the engine to see how far they can go and where that red line is. So when they need that red line, they push it. They've never been there. Like you don't see minor leaguers go three times in a row. You may see them get up three times, but they're never going to pitch three games in a row. You never would ever see them pitch four games in a row. Back in the day, they would pitch five games in a row and then maybe start the fifth one. And I think you have to build those type of hybrids to be able to do it. And if you don't, when you call them to do it, they're not going to be able to do it. So I think it starts from the bottom. You know, they, they, they were so worried about uh, Paul Skeens and, and his workload. Why would you change anything? He, he's not showing any signs of digression. His yeah. stuff got better as the game went along at 120, at 125. And they can actually quantify this stuff with biomechanics. Is is the arm lagging more? Is, is he starting to use muscles that he shouldn't all these things can go into play you can see the spin of the pitches in real time you see velocity you can see release point all this stuff can tell you if they're like digressing or if they're staying the same if they're getting better but they may be able to read swings right so the third time through the order this day even though they haven't been good the last couple may be different weird right like it could be different on a different day just like the weather yeah i think you got to look at it like that and i think that'll change the way that they use analytics and everything else because you can look at a guy and say, well, he's at 90 pitches, but it looks like he's thrown 40 today. Even though he's in the fourth, we're going to let him keep going. He just looks right. They're fouling off a lot of pitches. Maybe if he just uses that breaking ball a little bit more, gets swing and miss, that's the key. It's not that they're on him. It's just that he, he needs to change his game plan a little bit. I mean, that's the biggest thing I see is like – Yeah, from the you, Yeah, you, it's, it's one of these things. If you, cage, if you cage a wild animal – Right, and you feed them consistently, and you and you actually look at an animal at the zoo, and then you look at an animal in the wild. Which one's looks in better health? It's always the one in the wild. So you got to let these guys go, figure it out, fend for themselves, let themselves kind of self-identify. Am I okay? Am I all right? Can I keep going? I'm really surprised they haven't taken the the chains off because if you're investing in a guy nine ten million dollars in the draft, I want to pitch him immediately, personally, and then have his agent and himself call me and say, no, 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 we need to take a step back. And me say, no, 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 we need to keep going forward because of this, this, and this. But it seems like they always go the opposite way where you don't know what's going to come tomorrow. Guy could be gone. He could be Mark Pryor, and he only has four years. Yeah, You don't, don't want to waste a bullet, in my opinion. That was what I locally I, – I remember – that's what I kind of thought the Giants did the best with Tim Lincecum. I thought they let him go, and I didn't think mm-hmm. they ever – and, yeah, his career might have ended shorter, but they got – I mean, and I don't think he would have – yeah, I don't think he'd want it any other way. I mean, he was in his, he was great there for those seven years. I mean, he think about keeping him to five innings. It'd be insane, you know, back then and stuff. I let him go in that regard. 
Um, got a few more minutes here with uh, the fort here. Josh, you got another one here for him before we, before we call it a night? Um, I had nothing else in the chamber because I didn't know how long we were going to go. What would you guys change about it? Like about the about, about, about pitching in general. Like, I mean, yeah. obviously they have the best trainers. They have all the technology. They have these pitch counts. Like, what do you guys see as fans? You guys that probably played, you know, maybe up to the collegiate level, maybe pro ball. We didn't get into that. I have no clue. But like, you guys watch a lot of sports. Like, what would yeah. you change about it as fans watching it all the time? Because I love asking that question because I seem to get similar answers. But like, what would you change? Because it's obviously not working very well. Josh, go ahead. Hmm. I just preferred baseball. And so I was born in 88. Okay. So I'm, I'm roughly your age. I've watched a lot of the Cardinals in the eighties and that to me was exciting. Um, so, I mean, I would like to see more of manufactured runs and players not just hitting for home runs. And I want to see pitchers throw six, seven, eight, nine innings on a regular basis. I want the, I, I don't like the pitch com. <laughs> I like the bigger bases. So there's some things I do like of the new stuff, but I mean, I like early 2000s baseball, I think is my favorite like era. It was the end and the backside of the steroids and the, I guess the majority of the steroids era. It was fun, but you Baseball still felt like it was traditional. This baseball now feels different to me as a whole, and I think a lot of it has to do basically around pitching because pitchers don't throw like they used to. They might throw harder. Their stuff might be nastier, but it, it's not the uh, it's not a game of intelligence as much now, I feel like, as it used to be. It's more about just throw as much power as you can. Hmm. Well said. For, for what you said, what you said, well, how could you change it or something like that? I mean, what my mind, you, I mean, you, you said it, you're like the minor league, you have to change it at the lower level for this to be a factor because you got, you got to train guys to think they can go over a hundred pitches and they can go 115 pitches and work through those ones. And the, the money aspect, like that, I mean, Oh, don't, I think that's ding, only the ding, thing, right? Ding. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like you, you, you want to keep you want to keep it. You want you don't want this thing to bro ah five million in this guy. How can we afford to lose him and stuff like that with all that stuff? So, I my theory is you got to let the guys get hurt. Like I and I mean you got to let them pitch. And I think it has to start when they're younger, like in the high school level. And when they get to college, not throwing 170, but you saw this guy on Stanford through 150 pitches. I think like in some college game this year. Yeah. And the Please college baseball, they they let them go. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah, I saw those guys that constantly get to 130. I just really. Michael would love to just see the, the organizations let these guys do what they do best and like compete in the hardest situations. Like I like seeing a pitcher get out of a jam and get that win. I don't like them always going to the specialist, even if it helps the game. I know that it helps the team. Gosh, that part I just miss the most is like seeing that pitcher get out of that jam and that fist pump and the, that, that you miss that kind of stuff. I feel at moments with the way it's going. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've had the joys of coaching high school baseball um, at, at some point. And I coached young, like youth guys, like little, like nine, 10 year old kids um, as well. But the year that I coached high school baseball, we had the, the big rule the, that year is, is, was the pitch count. Like, you know, they can only, the, the players can only pitch so many, you know, they can only have so many pitches within so many days or so many pitches within um, that particular game. But it was because it was, it wasn't, because of the the 
it was because of the injury concerns later on in their career. You know, having you know the 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 Tommy John surgery at 18, 19, 20 years old instead of later on. Um, is was there times where we we had actually we had a lead in a game and lost a game because we had to pull out the guy who was just who was just raking down people when it comes to, to what he was throwing. Yeah, I mean, it, ha- it happened quite a bit. We we lost three or four games because we had to pull, you know, a guy who was who was throwing the ball really really well. Um, I don't I don't know when it comes to, when it comes to changing. I like was that some, good for him? Was it good Personally, for? Yeah, the kid that you pulled. Uh, he was he probably happy about got it, it, but like, was it good for his psyche? You know what I mean? No, I mean he wasn't happy about it. He, he definitely it definitely. I I would say it probably didn't show that it affected him at the time outside of being like, you know, why, why did you, you know, it, it wasn't him verbally saying, why'd you pull me? But it was more like um, emotionally showing how, like, why did you pull me? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm throwing the ball really well. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, we know, but we have to follow. Like if we don't follow these, you know, these stats, these rules, these, these analytic things, then we're not going to get the best out of you later on. You're not going to get the best out of you later on. If we don't follow those now, not saying that you won't, but we need you later down the road. You know, you can only pitch 30 pitches today. You can only pitch 20 tomorrow. But two days after that, you can pitch 90. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's the, the way it was set up didn't make any sense. Yeah, the pitch thing, we always had that. You can't go over 85. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Unless you're facing the batter, right? Then you can right. go 87 or whatever like that. All that. Yeah. I, I, I even, uh, even at that point, like it, it, yeah. it, with, with the IHSA in, in Illinois, like if you got to that point, you, you had to get pulled. It didn't matter what, what the pitch count was, what the – like, you were done. You're done for the day. You couldn't – That's ridiculous. The, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely I'm insane. Gonna, I'm going to put it in an even wilder perspective. Are they monitoring their catch play? Are they monitoring their workouts? Are they monitoring their nutrition? Are they monitoring mm-hmm. their conditioning? Are they checking in on their bullpens? They see if they throw their bullpens in the offseason. They don't look yeah. at anything but gameplay. Yeah. Injury comes way before that. There's no mobility checks. There's nothing going on to actually like quantify how are they actually getting hurt yeah. outside of these pitches because you can't quantify each kid the same way. I tried to work with some high school kids, took them under my wing, and what they were doing in the weight room and not moving properly was in, like completely destroying my ability to help them with their swing and everything else because all we were doing was working on their mobility. Because they were out of line with their hips, their back was broke. They were duck butting and not being able to stay on the ball, pulling off. There's so much more that goes into it. That's what sucks about people usually making the rule—not all the time—making the rule that don't swing a bat, that don't go play catch. And I'm not saying they had to play. I don't care. Some of the best coaches I know right now never played above collegiate baseball, or they never played above high school. They are willing to pick up a ball, throw it. They're willing to catch a ball. They're willing to swing a baseball bat, even at 70 years old. I think that's the biggest problem is like, if you're going to say it's going to hurt, go throw a hundred balls, wake up the next day, throw a hundred more. Yeah. Like, did your velocity go down? No. Well, you're 70. You okay. Right. Like maybe we look at this a little bit different. I, um, I, I, when I first got into coaching, I think when I'm 39, I'll be 39 here in a month. So I, 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 we got into literally coaching, uh, like 19, I wanted to be, I wanted to take a team to Williamsport. That was my dream. So I coached at my little league, literally there got involved with it. 
through that, I got to coach and meet uh, Andrew Vaughn, who's now with the White Sox. He mm. played at the Little League system there. He actually played for Team USA at some point. I know there. And I remember talking to his dad at one point about it, uh, just when I saw him like a few years back when he was playing there in high school. And he, he mentioned how they didn't let they weren't letting pitchers go back then. This was way this was like eight years ago. He noticed that because with his son at the time, he was pitching more of a hitter, obviously, but he was pitching too. And I was like, oh, they able to go. He's like, no, they only let these guys go like 20, 25 pitches and then they move on to the next. I was like, even at that high of a level. So he said back then and now we're here 10 years, about eight years later. And now it kind of all makes sense why we're kind of falling into that kind of trap of where guys can only go so long. Yeah, it's just wild to me because you still make all those throws from shortstop, outfield, because a lot of times in high school, mm-hmm. your best players are your best pitchers. Yeah. And yeah. they're still making oh, those yeah. throws. They're still doing all that thing. I mean, when I was 14, I I grew up real fast. I was They called me man-child at 12 because I was fully grown. So I was throwing absolute scud missiles at 12. So I'd yeah. pitch, I'd catch, I'd pitch, I'd catch, I'd pitch, I'd catch. Well, it started to wear on me. I had a partial tear in my UCL, yeah. and we just backed off, and I was fine. But – it wasn't because I was pitching too much. It was because I was playing too much, gotcha. you know, and I wasn't, I didn't understand how to take care of my, my body the right way. I was just like, play, 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 play. I was playing pickup. I was going to play for 15 year old teams when I was 13. I was doing everything I could to play. Well, all I did was back off a little bit, start doing a lot more arm exercises, got in the weight room, got stronger, was able to ha- handle the workload, right, wrong, or indifferent. That was my body, but every kid should be able to figure that out. And the high school coach, better than anyone knows not you know illinois state baseball who's who's making rules and they don't even invite most coaches to even speak on it you know or parents even more so yeah yeah that that's a bit it will it'll be interesting to see i'm curious where it goes even here like 10 years now like what where are these specialties going to be we're talking about these two-way guys you know that's going to be that's going to be starting the minor leagues we'll see where how that progresses over over the next 10 years um, I got to ask you, I want, I want to ask you about this was your relationship with the Pittsburgh Pirates fans, because as a backup catcher, like you said, I feel like you guys are almost in some ways full heroes at moments. And I, it like, I feel like, and it sounds like it is. Cause I like, I can remember like eight, Stephen Vogt is a big one. But I know like, you kind of think of guys like he's, him, right? he's a great human. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. And like, so funny. The referee skits he used to do all that <laughs> good stuff back in the day on, uh, on the show there with. Kevin Bellar. Uh, so how did that start? I mean, like I saw, I, I just curious how your relationship with the fans started. It seems like they love you there. I, I always remembered who, who shows up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. right, wrong, or indifferent. And if they came at me the wrong way, I always tried to treat them with respect. And that was more just the human being I wanted to be. So I think that was first. I, I never took a moment of granite to not sign an autograph. I'd go well out of my way. I would sign until they all were signed. And I got that from Cal Ripken Jr. I heard a story about him staying. I think it was Cal Ripken Jr. When I was a kid, he stayed and signed every single autograph, even uh, when the, the lights went out. And I was like, well, that's a standard I have to keep. If he mm-hmm. plays every single day and he's the Iron Man, there's no excuse for me. And, you know, integrity, character, and, and making sure that I was representing you know, my faith properly was always the lead. And then after that, like just trying to play the game properly. And I think that's where a lot of the backups get that folk hero type thing. I hit a home run, my first home run. And that's when the fort name stuck, you know, Greg Brown went bonkers and started yelling the fort. I got a curtain call on my first home run, um, which doesn't happen. 
dude. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of those things. I, I think they can feel it, especially in Pittsburgh. If you are a dude that just gets after it, they want that, you know, tough nose, gritty player that leaves it all on the field. Even if you're not the most talented or the best player, if you leave it on the field, they'll give you a hard time for not producing, but they'll respect you. And I think that's the biggest thing you got to remember as a player, whether you're a backup or a starter. I think sometimes when you're playing every day, you, you, you get tired. You're like, I don't want to be bothered. And one of my close friends is Andrew McCutcheon. You guys talked about him. The dude tries his best to sign everything and everything, but he gets worn out, you know? So yeah. he took a different approach. You know, when he goes and eats and he's with his family, sometimes he eats privately and he, he kind of gets away. But when the fans come up, he tries to do the best he can to respect them and everything else. But most superstars, most MVP type caliber guys may push them away. And you're never entitled to that. That, that, that little kid may be the next Mookie Betts. That little kid may, may be the next Bryce Harper. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you treat him with respect. So one day that next kid that comes up, that next generational player, you know, gets that signed autograph that makes him fall in love with the game and maybe be elite at it because he's like, I want to be like him. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And, you know, I'm humbled to know that there's some baseball and softball people that have actually said that about me. I'm like, cool. That's a great career. Go be a backup. You'll make great money. You'll have an opportunity to do a lot of different things. You know, people will knock you forever, but just remember you're one of 22,000 plus that have ever played the game. If you get there. So just remember whether you're a backup starter, it doesn't matter. You played in the big leagues. That's special. Yeah. Dude, you got you got to do a curtain call your first home run. You got to be in a you got to be in a select few for that one. That's that's pretty awesome, right there. Stupid. Not, I, it, it's still, I saw the highlight. The crowd was going insane. Yeah, I was jacked up, man. It, it, it was, it, rush. Well, first off, I thought it was never going to come. I mean, it was a guy that was you know I almost hit a hundred minor league homer, so I, I thought I'd have a homer by then. Never came. It's the tenth pitch of that bat, and I finally hit it, and I'm like, I think it's going out. It's going out. And then I'm on like third base. By the time I realized it actually went out, I'm just flying. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's, it's special. But like what they did and the fact that they curtain called me was special. And I'll never forget in 13. Last story for you guys. Um, I'm hurt, and I just started walking off my uh, got my brace off my crutches two days prior, and I'm walking out as they call my name out for the playoffs, the blackout game, and dude, they went bonkers. Dude, my heart almost blew out of my chest and it motivated me so much to get back on the field and, and play at an elite level. And I had my best year the next year. And I can look back to that game and say, man, that gave me a whole nother engine to find inside my heart to go because that was special. Cause I hadn't been on the field in six weeks, you know, like the only time they'd seen me is, you know, talking to guys maybe in the clubhouse or interviewing me for some silly reason, but I was there just to be a good dude and help the pitching staff any way I could. And then the first time I hit the field, they went bonkers. It was crazy. Yeah. That's how awesome. Was, how was it being with McCutcheon during those years? I mean, those were 2011. Those were like, I think he was the MVP in that stretch in 2013, I believe. I mean, I mean, you said obviously he's a great player, but I mean, what, what separates him, I guess, is it just like you, you said, he's great with the fan. I mean, he just probably outworked. I mean, this guy was a stud from the beginning when he came up too. So, yeah, he was an, he had elite ability. I mean, yeah. you, you think a guy with just a lot of fast switch every way, yeah. and he had elite confidence. So in 2011, I think he ended the season with two – he was an all-star, but he fell off in the second half. 
So in 2012, he went down to uh, IMG early, really got after it, um, probably as hard as he'd ever gotten after it, and he struggled in April. He always had that knack to struggle, struggle in April. But, dude, May, he started to get hot. And then June, he just got almost in fuego. July in fuego. Yeah. August in fuego. I mean, I'm talking he's hitting 385, 395 in those months. And he's still the same player that way. He, he gets really hot from the, when the weather gets hot. But, yeah, it was just a different level because he could beat you to right center, which is the best place to hit for a right-handed batter at PNC, out of the park, and he's 5'10". But then when he would get fooled, he'd wrap a ball in that six hole and he'd be on base. Yeah. And he wasn't a great base runner, but he had elite speed. So, like, it was just crazy watching him. And I think 2012 was a better year than 13. I think 13, they yeah. were crap. We should have given it to him in 12, and they gave it to him in 13. <laughs> That's funny. Look he at was that. a better player in 12. I mean, that year was just remarkable how good he was. Yeah. I, I remember watching um, – I don't know if it was what year it was, but it was it was Cardinals and Pirates, and it was it – was, was it NLDS or was it a wild card game? It was, it was NLDS because it was NLDS. five games. Yep. And yeah. I, I remember last year there. Yeah. Being being at home and that game started at like three thirty, three fifteen, and just the atmosphere and the excitement of that game, you know, because it was two of the top teams at the time, you know, at least I thought going against each other, you know, that just the excitement and the way the way Pittsburgh in, in you know the, the pirate fan base was like, you know, they 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 were probably some of the loudest baseball fans I've ever heard. The Quato game, right? The Quato, the wild oh, yeah, card yeah, game. That, that, yeah, that was wild. the ball or something, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Did you see opening day for us this year, guys? Did not, no. So go back and look um, at our opening day. So Kutch came back, A.J. Burnett came back, Russell Martin caught the first pitch, and we blacked it out again. We had 40,000 people here opening day for Kutch's return to PNC and those guys coming back. And it's mm-hmm. a ten-year reunion to 2013, that blackout game, dude. It was electric. Yeah, it was electric. It got national news. It yeah. went bonkers. It was crazy. All from a tweet. And, and I believe that was the first time they made the playoffs since '92 or something like that. So I think that's like it was like this built. I believe it was like this first 20 winning year. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 20 years, yeah. They, winning season in 20 years. Yeah. And they were like a one or two seed. The Pirates were that year too, weren't they? Yeah, wow. we had a the division was just stacked. Yeah. St. Louis was awesome, and and then we played Cincinnati in the wild card game, so we, it was a really good division. And then obviously uh, Chicago was kind of slowly starting to creep up before they really took off in fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a fun game to watch. Yeah, um, my my son had a question for you. I have, I have a ten year old son, a seven and a four year old daughter. So I asked my ten year old son what I said. I'm going to be having a, a big league a big league catcher on. Uh, what, you have a you have a question for him by Eddie regards. And his question to you was, uh, what was, uh, what was your best team you ever played on? I said, well, you mean pros? He said, whatever, dad, you ask. There, so he wants to say, what was the best team that you ever played on? He said, I got to ask it for my son. My, my senior in high school, my high school yeah. team. Um, not the most ability, yeah. but we were attached. We were number two in the country. And there was two guys that made the major leagues on that team, but we were, an unbelievable team. Yeah. And when you say what was the best team, like that's some of my best memories, even dating back to the big leagues, but that was special. My fall league team was really good too. I won't, I won't, I won't. <laughs> I, I had Donaldson. Um, oh, dang. Yeah, Scherzer, yeah. Uh, JP Aaron Sebia. I mean, we were really good. We had 
Um, some of the A's we had on our team were, were really, really good. Um, Doolittle, but he was yes. hitting then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He did hit. He was the first yep. baseman or something like that. Got transitioned to the. He played a big role in that year. They made the playoffs. Yeah, uh, he could flat out rake. Yeah, I, they said, said he was a good. Hit. I don't think he ever pinched hit as a. Right. He probably got one at bat in the red lever somewhere along the line. Probably. Yeah, but. some with his knee. Just he he could stay on the backside or something like that. I don't I don't know exactly what happened, but yeah, he could flat out hit. He's a twenty homer guy every year. And you had a 99% chance of getting a fastball from him. There was not much. <laughs> he threw a lot of fastball. He was, I know that was like, that was the scouting report. Fastball from him. I, the, the last thing I got for you is this. And, and I, I know this is not maybe the best memory, but I, I remember with you that your reaction to the break, to the, the Julio Lugo play, right? Mm-hmm. You're, when they, the play comes in, you're, the guy's out by a mile, and then you had the best. Like, I mean, there's nothing better than that when you tag the guy from that. I, it just it was the absolute best rush. I remember the game because on the West Coast out here, the Braves obviously the Braves it was the Braves start at four o'clock out here. You guys went nineteen innings, I want to say. So I remember the game. It was I think it was the last game even maybe on that day, and I could stay up late. I was listening, I was watching the game on TV. So that's why that played. And then your manager, his name's escaping at the moment. He absolutely did. Yeah, he did a great job ripping out the buyers after that. <laughs> what they well deserved. But if you could just take me through, I'm sure you've been asked about this play a million times. I, I, I mean, I, I, how do you react with that? How did your team react after just such a mind blowing call that cost you a game that you're there six hours for already? Yeah. So our, our team fell off a cliff. Um, <laughs> I think we had the worst September in the history of baseball, something like that. No joke. That's how bad it was. I remember going to Philadelphia afterwards and feeling like we weren't in the same league anymore. Yeah. You know, we faced holiday Hamels and Lee oh. and, can't remember who the, maybe it was uh Worley and he was like a day off, but that was when he was Cy Young yeah. type Worley. Yeah, so it kind of was the downfall of that year. Um, the story that gets missed before I get into the tag is Daniel McCutcheon. So Daniel McCutcheon pitched three days in a row. So he had his turfs on that game, completely down, was not allowed to pitch. We get into the about the ninth, tenth inning. We're already low. And the only guy that ended up being down there, didn't pitch with Joel Hanrahan because he was our closer. So I think it was the 11th, 12th, or 13th. I mean, this dude's itching and like, hey, I can pitch. I can pitch. Hey, hey, I can pitch. He just kept going back and forth. And I remember a couple of us going up. He's like, just go get your cleats. And before, like, I think it even came out of our mouth, he's running down to the bullpen. But <laughs> like, nobody's like, what? No, you can't do that. He can't pitch. He ends up throwing five and a third. Uh, he's oh, the guy that got shoot. the loss. <laughs> so you talk about those guys that are animals. He never had an arm problem. We called yeah. him animal because, I mean, the dude just, he wanted to pitch and he went out there and did his thing. But yeah, that play, it, it's in slow motion. And you're welcome for uh, replay. That's one of the big reasons why that and that Galarraga perfect yeah. game that got screwed up, which he should yeah. get a perfect game, give the kid a hit. That's great. But give him the perfect game, give him the reward, put him in the history books. Because if you have replay now, that's the way it should be. We should get that yeah. win too, but I won't argue for that one. <laughs> um <laughs> But it was wild because I, Jerry was good that entire game. You know, like I can I can remember things that are weird. I think yeah. a lot of people that played sports remember stupid situations where, yeah, that one-two pitch and that sixth inning of game two and this set, blah, 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 should have done this. You remember stupid things. Yeah, I can remember Jerry being really good that game. Like locked in, 
I remember the ball didn't touch in the entire game. I blocked everything, so he had no excuse. We didn't have the auto, automated look at the strike zone. Obviously, don't have automated strike zone, but there was no box there like there is now. So dude's locked in the entire game, 19 innings, six and a half hours in. Yeah. He just completely whiffed. Yeah. And I get the ball six feet up the line. Lugo's coming down. The only thing I could have done done different and i remember joe west telling me this and i can say his name now he's retired it is what it is he's like you got to destroy that guy michael you got to make it completely <laughs> obvious that you got him and i'm like so you want me to take my entire body into lugo then go up to hit next time with let's say venters and take a ball up at my chin because you want me to tag him hard so you can do your job easier make yeah. it make sense joe He's like, you know what I mean, son. Just do it next time. And I'm like, okay, promise. I'll hurt someone for your job. That sounds great. That's crazy. Yeah, That's so crazy. Um, all that being said is like, yeah, I could have gone in harder. I could have done some things different. But, you know, he apologized. He was he was very political about it. You know, yeah. I never really talked to him that much afterwards. And believe it or not, I, I think I caught a little over 300 more games or plus after that. And yeah. I never had him. Never I mean, that. ever. And I, and I don't know if it was that's crazy maybe it's conspiracy theory, but yeah, I'm a, I'm, it I'm seemed like I, I never, never. Yeah. Even on my day to catch, it's like all of a sudden he's at first base. I'm like, dang it. I wanted Jerry. You ever yell at him, Jerry, I miss you. Come by the plate. Yeah, Jerry. Oh, every, time, every time I got a chance, I'd walk up to him. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? And I'd shake his hand. He'd be like, hello, Michael. And that's it. It's about all I got every time. But the only thing I said to him was like, Jerry, just like a mother. I'll never forget yeah. this. You're going to be so disappointed in yourself when you see this in review. <laughs> That's all I said. And I was like, dang, I just mothered him. I hope that really hurt. And by the time I was processing that, Hurdle comes in. He's oh. fired up. A couple guys that have been drinking to try to bring luck to us got in the middle of it. So I was out of there being a rookie. But I, I remember one other thing that happened after the game. One, we were sitting there we're putting the game under protest. All kinds of yeah. stuff was happening. Nothing kind of came to light. But when I got out of that clubhouse after showering and everything else, my 5'1", 100-pound wife was hot. I mean, she was <laughs> so fired up. I mean, my texts were obviously – I probably had 100 texts, but I kept getting the ding from my wife. I'm like, she's hot right now. She's fired up. She couldn't even take it. So I thought that was always funny because she's That's so low-key, never shows emotion. I'm the emotional one in the relationship, weird enough. But yeah, she was hot. She's like, I can't believe that. You you better let him have it. Oh, it's so funny. So good. <laughs> That's she great, knew man. I didn't. And she <laughs> she didn't even mean that. She was like, oh, tiss tiss. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll never forget it. Look back at it and laugh at it now. But Daniel yeah. McCutcheon, never forget that name. That guy was a legend yeah. that night. Five, you know, five and a third or something like that. And I read a quote from him. He said that was his favorite. He said that was actually his favorite moment playing baseball. He said like, because he said he was so relaxed. I thought that was a very fascinating quote from reading it back at him because he had not, he said he had nothing to lose. Like, I don't know where he was at in his career at that point, but it sounded like he was at a spot where he just kind of could let it go a little bit. And, he, and I thought that was funny that he said that was the, the best time of his career, just throwing five innings on whatever you said when he wasn't even available. Sometimes those are the best times to do it. Um, you would have destroyed Julio Lugo, rest in peace. Lugo. He, he was not a big man at all. You would have no, crushed it. He was not I would have broken in half, no doubt about it. <laughs> His reaction is good, too, because you tag him, then he's like, oh, yeah, he's just like, yeah, he, he knows he it. Yeah. He, 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 just, 
Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah. And he just taps home plate with his foot. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. Jerry, you called him safe before he touched home, big guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I thought that was, I appreciate you showing that, uh, sharing that experience with you during that time. Yeah, no problem. It, um, the last thing I got for you here is what do you miss the most? I mean, everybody kid dreams of playing Major League Baseball. That's kind of like, what was my thing. I get you out there, me and my brothers were playing pickle yeah. in the summer, pick off games. We're playing. We're trying to get like you know over the line going and stuff like that. Right? Home run derby. So you let you let you got to do that. You got to live it out. You know what do you miss about that kind of day to day kind of grind of playing baseball? And you did minor league. You played minor league baseball for a very long time as well. What do you miss the most about I guess playing ball? The off season. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I say that with my off season. Like I love the grind. Yeah. You know painting a picture of what you want to do and going after it and then being able to do it. The bullpens, you know, working with pitchers, all those little nuances is what I miss the most. Like the grind in the weight room, you know, throwing up with some dudes that are military and, and, and trying to push yourself to a limit you don't know you have. That's what I miss. And I, I could still do that, but doing it when you're chasing the dream that you love since a little kid is a little bit different, you know, yeah. and that's what I miss. I miss, that the most, the grind, the bullpens, you know, block, you know, I could say certain moments like hitting, hitting the home run or, or, or the hit, you know, like you said, when you felt like you had nothing to lose was, yeah. was the coolest feeling or, you know, burying a ball right off your chest, right in front of you, knowing he could throw it again. And he has that belief, seeing it in his face. Those are the little things I miss. I don't miss, you know, people say you, you miss competing. Do you miss the clubhouse? I don't miss that stuff. Cause you can find, a lot of those things other places but i miss those little nuances of of seeing the trust come out of a coach and say hey go up you're pinch hitting it's like it's right i am let's go you know like those little moments that that kind of give you the confidence to do stuff you never thought you could do yeah. i miss those and you know being able to work with the staff i i really miss you know if 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 i could play for free in the big leagues i would yeah. i would never do it again for money and I say that people probably think I'm crazy, but I think it loses some special like romance about the game when you start doing it for a business and you do it for a living. And I, I, I would love to be able to go out and just play, you know, just have, have fun, play most elite talent in the world. But you know, when you, when you throw money into it, sometimes it's not about playing. Sometimes it's not about winning. And all I wanted to do is win. I want to win at everything I do. We play pickup sticks. I'm going to try to beat you. you know? <laughs> Walk down the street. I may try to beat you, you know, and that's the reality. So that's what I miss. So probably similar to you guys, yeah. people kind of get thrown off when I say bullpens. Cause most of the kids nowadays, even in high school, don't catch bullpens. They have bullpen catchers. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is not okay. Go catch. You're a catcher. You know, it's weird. The standard. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Oh, you practice. Uh, Josh and Brandon, I don't know about you guys, but this guy sounds like he might be a coach sometime down the line. You have a coach energy to you, man. Like, get that a lot. I appreciate it. I've been doing, I do junior high basketball. I've been doing it for 18 years. I coach at Windsor. I went to Windsor Christian School. That was good. That was good. Very good there, Josh. I like that. Uh, no, that was Brandon. That was Brandon. That was Brandon. He goes, oh, that was Brandon. 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 Uh, so, so I, I don't know, like, I just curious, like, with, 
you know, being around that, all the all the coaches there doing that for as many years, you kind of have that vibe to me. You kind of feel like you're that. You ever have that itch? I mean, it sounds like you kind of follow your faith a little bit there. Whether you kind of have you ever had that itch? I guess come to your come to your mind yet? I, I got to scratch it at that PDP league, but yes, I have that itch pretty bad. Yeah. It's just yeah. where, you know, I always yeah. say this, and I don't say this to be funny. I, I say it because it's true. I got to find a place I won't get fired. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm always going to pick the human being. I'm yeah. not going to fall into being a yes man. I'm going to tell the truth and hopefully like people do the same to me. You know, that's the only way we get better in life. Like I always use politics as a great example. Bring on everyone that doesn't believe the same thing as me. Let's have a cool conversation. That's what it's about. You know, that's what life's about. That's how I came to grow in my faith. That's also how I came to hate my faith when I was surrounded by people with the same beliefs. And then I find out that they're actually not the people that you think they are. It hurts you. So seeing people that have nothing in common with you, but they're great humans, you're like, well, what are they doing right? I don't want to understand this person. That's what we should do in life. And it's a hard thing about where the game is and a lot of sports are is like you do get paid for it. So you have to find that balance of when is it about the man in front of you and are we growing men? Or are we trying to grow a program? Right. I think if you grow men, you make great you know, choices because the the values and – the morals that you want to upkeep, I think everything else follows. Yep. The wins yep. always seem to come. But the best part is guys that leave there, whether they play another day or not, they go somewhere and they do something special most of the time because that knack, like you guys are talking about being coaches, which thank you so much because pouring into youth, I think people that play sports at a young age and still something in them that creates really good habits, that creates a focus that maybe you can't find elsewhere. And I'll never forget when I was really young, I got to, sit in a meeting and watch kind of how a corp was it? I guess it was a billion dollar corporation kind of pick and choose who they wanted to hire. And almost all of them were athletes that they ended up going with because of the background of, all right, we know that they're going to work. We know that they're going to set goals. They're going to try to achieve them. And they have a different way of going about those habit structures because they've all been winners at some point, even with the better degrees, everything else, they were picking athletes because of that. And I think that's the way to look at it. It's like, how can I make great men? Yeah. And when I find that and God pushed me that way, that's where I'll go. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, I think I speak for Josh and Brandon on the fact. I appreciate you. Yeah, we almost did two hours here. Like <laughs> unbelievable that it was, it just felt, I just appreciate you spending time with us this yeah. evening. And, uh, and I know you're obviously very busy and um, just very grateful. You were able to take some time out of your evening, uh, to talk baseball with us. Uh, very cool of you. Hey, no problem. And it's really, thank my wife. She's the one that always gives me the opportunity. I could probably get caught up in this a long time. So I <laughs> appreciate you guys having me. It's a blast. You know, chase your dreams. Do not hold back. No matter what, if you want to, there's a will, there's a way, I promise. So thank you. Again, we appreciate that, sir, very much. And uh, best of luck to you from there on. I appreciate but it. Right. Talk to you guys if, I make it, if I make it to Pittsburgh, I'll uh, we'll, we'll definitely yeah, get that. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. We'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah, let's go. We'll make that definitely. happen. All right. Okay. Sounds good. See you guys. All right, Mike. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. All right. See, See ya. Yeah. That was that fun, was guys. Wow. That was, that was really that. cool. That was it is just that, that conversation just like flow. Like there was there – was, I looked up at the – up, looked up at the clock and it was like an hour and 35 minutes. I'm like, how has it been an hour and 35 minutes? But <laughs> he's awesome. really engaging. Like, you know what I mean? Like when we're, when he's oh. there, like he's, well, he, I appreciate it. Cause he, 
he gave us the time of the day, right? He's not just kind of – you really felt like he was there. He even asked us questions. So, yeah. very cool of him to come on the show tonight and do that, Josh. I thought that was awesome. No, he was he was awesome. Good conversation. Um, no Pirates. Yeah, I think I just became a Pirates fan. I hate to say it. It's weird, but I think I just became a Pirates fan. Uh, I would say <laughs> – You're swearing a Pirates hat. Why didn't you put that on earlier? <laughs> I had it on the whole time. I had you and that pirate set. You told me you had a few of those. Uh, <laughs> no, we gotta we gotta see if we get him back during the off season. Yeah, yeah, we gotta definitely get him back again. I, that was awesome, awesome to have him on. Josh, I guess we'll be uh, back at it next week. Brandon, thanks for jumping on with us tonight. No problem. That was that was fun. Thanks for the early start time. Because yeah, we're I'm, usually just now getting ready to start. No, <laughs> I, I, I'm liking the early start time a little bit. If we could do it more often, so yeah. if we could do that, that's awesome with it. For Josh Edwards, for Brandon over there, Saffle, I'm Darren Breyer from Fatboy Fadeaway. We're here at Variety Sports Network. Be sure to sub to us. We got over 300, Brandon, right? We made no, it over that did. mark. We that did. was awesome. Um, let me see what the – I don't know what the number is, but while we're while we're talking here really quick, um, if you haven't checked out our Twitter page, um, we're doing a, a – pirate with, with our guest coming on tonight, we're doing a yep. Pirate City Connect jersey giveaway. So make sure you head over to our Twitter page. Make sure you uh, – you have to follow us, you have to tag a friend, and then you have to name or put in a comment your favorite current or former Pittsburgh Pirates player um, to get your name put into the drawing. So, I saw yeah. a lot of McCutcheons. Where's you know, Al Martin? Lots of McCutcheons. <laughs> doesn't surprise me. No Roberto Clemente's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Should, that, should we call it the end there? I think so. Good show. Good show. For next week, Josh, Brandon, peace. See ya.